Thank you for listening to this episode of Liberation. I am your host, LaCroix Hatcher. Today, I present to you Brad Harrop. Brad Harrop is the co-founder of Focus Press and co-editor of Think Magazine. Brad is well known for his work in Christian apologetics and also for his Truth About Origins seminar. Please enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I am very honored with this episode of Liberation. Uh, I have a man that single-handedly blew my little biblical worldview into a million pieces a few years back. Uh, he is the director and co-founder of Focus Press and co-editor of Think Magazine. Uh, he has either authored or co-authored various uh, books. And before we get started, I will read this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the to God, the Father, through him. That is Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Happens to be this gentleman's favorite verse. I have Brad Harrop with me. Brother Harrop, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing phenomenal, and it is great to be with you. Uh, as, as I told you, this is an honor for me. Um especially for somebody that I don't know in person. So I hope this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're my brother in Christ, man. We got, we are arm in arm. we got to work together. Praise God about it. Uh, happy uh, belated birthday, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about, um, let's start with focus press. Um, was that something that was your brainchild or uh, someone else? How did Focus Press start? So uh, about 15 years ago, uh, a buddy of mine and I got together and we're sitting in a, a restaurant and literally with a, a napkin and a pen, we started talking about some of the needs of the church today. And one of the things that we kept coming up against was most of the material that we had looked like it was done in the 1960s and 70s and was not something that we wanted to be handing to our non-Christian friends, wasn't something that we would put out on a, a coffee table. Mm -hmm. And so we, we kept saying, you know, why can't we produce sound, good looking stuff that people actually want to read? And so, and we, uh, we had the dream of, hey, let's, let's produce a magazine that is actually in Barnes & Noble, hmm. one of these big bookstores that's competing alongside of, say, Newsweek or, or Sports Illustrated, something like that. And so uh, we, we launched in 2005, and wow. I would say we, we were able to get into bookstores, um, and you know, knock on wood, we've been producing some some pretty high quality looking stuff. I tend to agree. So, um, <coughs> was this a venture of your own? Because uh, I I've done my research. Uh, was this something that you decided to do, branching off from a, a apologetics press? Yeah. So, um, 
I was with Apology Express for about five years, and we went through uh, what what I'll just kind of simply say was a uh, a road bump. <laughs> um, the guy who was the director at the time got into some some pretty serious trouble, some issues, and my wife and I were from the Middle Tennessee area. Always wanted to get back home had grandkids to, to get back towards their grandparents. Mm-hmm. So when that, that road bump happened, we uh, used that particular timing to get us back this direction and to start this work. Uh, I understand completely. Um, <laughs> I won't get into that topic, but I have, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of Jimmy Hinton. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, this that's, that's a gentleman I've talked to and I uh, have interviewed. Um, been honored to have time with him as well. And yeah, very despicable. Yep, yep. It was uh, you know we were kind of ground zero, and it man it it rocked my world quite a bit. Um, didn't didn't mess with my faith because that's that's solid. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely something to be working alongside somebody and not realize that they kind of got a whole nother secret life going on. Um, it's It's been a blessing in disguise in that it has allowed us to start this new work, um, branch more into some cultural issues. So my, my field of expertise, kind of Christian evidences, cultural apologetics Mm -hmm. and by launching out on our own it's really allowed me to to actually get involved in more stuff look at at more ways that we can hopefully reach and and touch folks okay okay so let's rewind you back to maybe childhood or um wherever (laughs) your venture started what brought you to the lord's church um so if we get too far back in my, my childhood, we uh, what we find is a a kid who from about age seven knew that I wanted to be a doctor. Okay, uh, I was one of those weird kids that you know everybody had like sports figures on their wall or, or Hollywood people on their wall, and I was drawing like anatomical parts of the body and putting it on my my door and stuff from age seven on. Hmm. Um, grew up in a house where everybody definitely believed in a God, but we were in a denomination. And basically what I would say is we, we were just considered ourselves quote unquote, good old Christians. Mm -hmm. About age 15, I started asking questions that a lot of young people ask, you know, why do we do this? Why do we observe this? What, you know, why do we observe Lent? Why do we have acolytes? Why do we have choir? Why do we, and most of the adults that I was asking these questions just kind of tried to pat me on the head and say, well, you know, that's just tradition. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, you know, there's got to be something underlying the tradition. And so I ended up doing a, a high school research paper on it, found out we'd stole most of, most of our traditions from the Catholics and thought, yeah, this, this, this isn't, this isn't real Christianity. Ended up studying with the dean at David Lipscomb University. Um, the college is only about two and a half, three miles from my high school. Okay. And so a lot of the students 
from my high school would end up going there. Had the opportunity to study with him. Uh, his name's Bill Davis. And I'll never forget, he walked me through the book of Acts. And it was literally like scales coming off my eyes. It was like, wow, this is the New Testament church. This is what I've been looking for. Mm. And um, so he baptized me. And we kept studying for six, eight weeks afterwards. One of the things that, that you got to know about me, I am a voracious reader. I mean, I, I, I'll turn my thing here. I, I got books all over the place. I mean, I, I usually, I average about probably four or five a week. Oh, um, are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy reading. So... I, I was studying with him at the time and we hit this point and he just started laughing at me. He goes, man, I taken you about as far as I can get you. Now, now you're on your own. And so from that point on, um, I was reading every religious book I could get my hands on the field that was kind of like the perfect fit for me was Christian evidences because I love science. I love proving stuff. I want, you know, I want to be able to touch it, taste it, smell it. And so, man, Christian apologetics was like, boom. When I found that, it was like, yeah, this this is home right here. So you actually, actually took away one of my questions. So um, I find I found Christian evidence is fascinating. And what truly, as I said, blew my world apart with your... Um, truth about origin seminar we'll come back to that is not on well let me frame this better i find it fascinating because when i was a young kid you're taking the sunday school and you're learning up the wazoo um adam and eve noah's ark uh joseph you name it you're learning all these great wonderful things and how the world began Seven days, God said this, and it was good. Da, 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 da. Yep. You leave church on Sunday. You eventually find yourself in a science class at school, and they're saying stuff about dinosaurs and this and this, and the world is millions of years old. But the according to our calendars, the timeline says it's 19-whatever. Yep. Now, granted, this is before I knew how to date back the Bible and all that stuff. But even still, dinosaurs are millions and millions of years old prior to humans. And me having a little bit of common sense, I'm sure it took a human to create what we call a calendar. <laughs> and... You know, you learn these things and there's nothing in the middle to, uh, at least not in my neck of the woods, to reconcile these thoughts. And I wasn't a person like you. I'm still not to this day just an avid reader. And it's like, okay, I'm learning one thing in school. I'm learning another thing in the Bible. There has to be a happy medium somewhere. I can't totally rule out science because, hey, there's a lot of good stuff. What they're saying, I see outside of dinosaurs. Yeah, yep. and I'm just young enough in that little stage where mom and dad said there's a god, and this, that, and the third. So I believe my parents too. Yep, I'm gonna believe this god thing till I know something different. 
but there's nothing in the middle. And I found one of your videos. And not only did you explain the beginning of the world, but you also brought up something that puzzled me as a, as a youngster again. How long humans lived at that period of time. And for you folks out there, if, if follow me down this lane. If you're reading your Bible and you ever got to Genesis 5 and you're just reading the list of gentlemen that lived X amount of hundred years, they lived, they died, then the next person, hundreds of years, lived, died. Next person, hundreds of years, so forth and so on. I come across this excellent video from Brad Harrop, and he blew my world apart with a PowerPoint stretching out Adam's lifeline and showing how he could have touched not only every man listed in those scriptures, but probably thousands upon millions of people. And I was never able to look at my Bible the same again. How in the world did you come up with that stuff? <laughs> so so I'm, I'm a very visual person, very visual learner. I think folks can, when they see it like that, it, it really impacts them. And I, I did exactly kind of what, you know, you're talking about. I, I actually sat down Genesis five and I started writing down, you know, Adam lived 130 years. He had a son named Seth. So I'm writing 130 on my paper. Seth lived 105 years. He begot Enos. So then I add that. So I'm starting to add all these things together. And I'm like, hold up. Not only are you given the person's age when they had this kid, mm -hmm. you're given their age when they die. Adam lived 930 years. So what you can actually see is Noah's father, Lamech, was walking around on the earth while Adam was still here. Which, which means Noah's dad could have looked at Adam and said, hey, man, what was it like before you got kicked out of the garden? Which is just, you know, it blows your mind when you start really thinking about that. Well, then, then you go the other way, and you've got Shem, Noah's son, living really long period and you start doing the math and you figure out, you know what? He could have actually seen firsthand Abraham and Isaac. Mm. They could have talked to Noah's son, Shem, who could have talked to his granddad, Lamech, who could have talked to Adam. Look, you just the fact I'm still just hearing you say it again. Still, it's just <laughs> and, and, and you know what else it did? It also gave you the first timeline without without truly defining it. Yeah, it gave you the timeline of how long the world existed. Yes, absolutely. Outside yeah. of those, what six days? Yeah. You basically saying because you've got passages in the Bible. I'll throw out a couple of them. Matthew nineteen four, uh, Mark ten six, both indicate that there were males and females here from the beginning of creation. Mm -hmm. And then we could look at First Corinthians fifteen that talks about Adam being the first male. 
So if God created the heaven and the earth, like Genesis tells us, and there were males and females here from the beginning of creation, like the Bible tells us, and Adam was the first one, then I ought to be able to use his lineage and be able to tell you how old the earth is mm-hmm. within just you know a, a few days. I don't, I don't think it's a mistake that the Bible gives us the genealogy from Adam all the way to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, actually gives us both Mary and Joseph's lineage. Yeah. But bottom line is we've got the lineage all the way from Adam to Christ. Now, let me, let me throw this at you because I probably didn't tell you this in, in the seminar. So, you know, I know about the lineages, knew the names of some of these people. Then I go to the British Museum of History over in London. And they've got artifacts there, some of which are, you know, using their numbers. Some of them are six, 7,000 years old. So I'm, I'm looking at stuff. I'm taking pictures. Well, then I start running across people's names. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's one of the people in the lineage of the Bible. And so I'm looking again. I'm like, yeah, that's one of the kings. Yeah. That's and so I started taking, you know, more and more pictures of stuff and realized we got this lineage from Adam to Christ, mm-hmm. but we also have now archaeological artifacts that support the people in that particular lineage. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, all these atheists act like they've got the intellectually superior position because, you know, oh, you just have faith and blind faith. Right. And I'm like, wait a second. First off, if you believe in the Big Bang, that requires faith because nobody saw it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and second, we got all this archaeological evidence that directly supports people, places, and events in the Bible. Right. Right. And, and you know, the one thing that also made me struggle, even through my teenage years, is I would oftentimes, and I don't think they, maybe I heard it wrong and maybe they meant no harm is there was this thing where we were kind of encouraged not to necessarily mesh the Bible with secular knowledge. Yeah. yeah. But in actuality, they go hand in hand and they help prove one another. Yep. All the different wars that David was in and, and the Nebuchadnezzars of the world and all these things, even even dating back to the times of Exodus, all these different kings and things that existed, and then like you um, rightfully pulled up, then you have the uh, some of the Asian countries that made diagrams of yeah the Ark and all the you need you actually need both, and just right. just, just as God needed inspired men to write down the accounts of the Bible. He also gave man enough intellect to document the things that's just going on in everyday life, just like today. Yeah. And they help prove one another, but we're often discouraged to break them apart. There, there is a great um, textbook called, it's called Mystery of History. And I love it. And the reason that I love it is because if you're like me, mm-hmm. You grew up, you learn Bible in a Bible class, you learn history in a history class. Right. And those two never, ever really came together. What this book does is it's teaching you what's happening in the Bible and what's happening 
in secular history at the same time. And so like, for instance, it talks about when the pyramids were made. Mm -hmm. And then it talks about which biblical characters would have seen the pyramids. Um, talks about, for instance, the Great Wall of China, when it was built and where, where that fits into the biblical chronology. Mm. So it, it really helps you kind of put this stuff together. And for me personally, what it does is it, it really makes stuff come more alive. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like for even the uh, average Jewish person, let alone New Testament history, they needed Josephus's writings. Yep. Yeah. To help chronicle the things that they went through. And it's net and Josephus writings help confirm some of the trials and tribulations of the everyday Christian and Jewish person of that day. That's right. Yeah. It, so one confirms the other and vice versa. So I, I just, I just got done. I wrote a textbook, um, a science textbook, actually. Oh, I was getting to it. And, um, <laughs> It's actually it's it's a high school science biology book for um, ninth and tenth graders. Okay. But the difference in this textbook and probably what you use, definitely what I used, is I used every single chapter to basically build and strengthen the faith of people in God versus destroying it. Um, because if you really stop and think about science, if you stop and think about the complexity of a cell, the human body, the way it was designed, you think about how a, a tree is able to get water to the top, able to distribute nutrients, able to make energy using photosynthesis. All these different things show the handiwork of a designer. Mm -hmm. And so I, when, when we set out to do this project, it's been like two and a half years in the making. I told the folks then, I said, look, I want a textbook that somebody can learn great science, you know, past all the, the standardized tests, the ACT, the SAT. But I want them when they get done with that particular class to actually be stronger in faith rather than weaker in faith. Mm -hmm. Because science is probably the area that really starts a division in causing people to, to question, is there really a God? Facts. And, and, and just like I, how I said, uh, Josephus, the, the, um, the images that the Asians and different nations created throughout, um, let's just call them those biblical years. Just like Ken Ham's Ark Encounter, the Creation mm -hmm. Museum, a step further the bible project yep those things are bringing a new visual and along with yourself these things are bringing a new um lucid vivid thing to the everyday person that like me where do you reconcile the two and to be able to have a good visual art of it and bring it to life yep. i think is 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 true just tremendous. Yeah, when you walk up and you see the the Ark Encounter, how oh. big it is the first time, you just feel like, oh yeah, he would have plenty of room for whatever he wanted on that thing. You know, that thing is the so size of five inches. Anybody that, that kind of you maybe when you were a teenager 
and you know somebody laughed at you saying ah you think the ark was real and you think they could have put all them animals on that boat ah well, when you come face to face with something that big you're kind of going oh yeah it would it would have fit he <laughs> not to question god's infinite wisdom he probably had enough room for 10 of each of those animals oh yeah he, he could have had a basketball you know i mean i i i fully think that they had room for the animals room for the food room for the family and lots left over so yeah they could they could have picked up a few people off the sea too <laughs> hey if somebody had have just listened to him preaching oh man you know Second, I think it's Second Peter chapter two verse five talks about Noah being a preacher of righteousness. Mm-hmm. So you got to think about this guy. He's building this ark for a hundred years. He's trying to tell people, "Hey, it's coming! It's coming! It's coming!" Mm-hmm. And they're laughing at him. They're they're ignoring him. They're probably saying he's crazy, you know, because at that point they probably had never seen rain. This dude's building a boat nowhere close to the water. And you got you just got to look at that and think to yourself, okay, his best friend didn't get on the boat. Mm. His closest neighbor that had to hear all the banging, he didn't get on the boat. <laughs> but two things I would point out. Number one, Noah didn't stop preaching. Mm. And number two, at least he got his family on the boat. Facts. Mm-hmm. And when I went to go to the ark, um, it, it truly strengthened my faith. Like oh, yeah. that yeah. that piece of work, there's not a Picasso in the world that can compare. Like, and, and considering these guys didn't have drills and uh, oh yeah, <laughs> power tools. Yeah, I look so, I, I look at that thing, and I'm surprised it only took them a hundred years to make. Yeah, <laughs> thing. Yeah. thing is huge. I encourage yeah. everybody to go see the Ark Encounter. Absolutely. And and the Creation Museum. I mean, yes. loads of great information in that, that yeah. museum. It was well done. You know, Ken Ham spent a lot of money. Um, so one of the unique things that he did is he invited uh, a lot of the PhD creationists up before they actually opened their doors. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want you to look at every exhibit we have so that we aren't doing what we accuse the evolutionists of doing. And that is, you know, having a placard that says something that you can't prove is true. Because a lot of times I'll go through like the Smithsonian and I look at those little signs and I'm like, man, that is so much garbage. Or are they just making that up? And in him, you know, had the, the forethought to say, we don't want to be guilty of what we accuse them of. So he invited, um, the day I was there, there was about eight of us, PhD guys, to go through the whole thing and basically write down, hey, this is good. This is, you change the wording on this one, that kind of thing. And I think they really ended up with a, a really nice museum. It, it, it was, it's fantastic. And, and another, uh, another thing that I, uh, I think, and I don't want to spend too much time in, in on Genesis, but to the average uh, lay person, and I've heard this on multiple, multiple, um, from from multiple people, is when you think about how the inspired writers 
they weren't thinking like we're thinking today. So they're just mentioning stories. So that means, and when I say, when I talk to multiple people, there's always the question of, well, how did the world get populated? Was it, if Adam only had but so many children with Eve, then was it Seth sleeping with Eve or you name it? Because there's no other way to get the world populated. But when you start to think back that, okay, the Bible isn't written the way we would want it written. There's no true way of knowing exactly when Cain killed Abel. Cain, as we know, did have a family. So we're, we're brought up to think that, okay, maybe Cain and Abel were just regular teenagers when this happened. But maybe they were in their 40s. Right, yeah. Who knows? Because we know, like I said, we know Cain had family. We know Seth had a family. And it also mentions that Adam and Eve had more children. So yeah. we have to look past. So once we know that and look past the um, the word is escaping me about right now about family. Incest. If we look past from that and know that, okay, yes, they were cousins. There's no getting around it, but if they, if Adam and Eve had, I don't, let's just throw out a number, six boys, eight daughters. Yeah, of course, there had to have been some cousin intermingling, but this is how the world had to be populated. Right. Not just, right. just the boys sleeping with mama and all this. <laughs> so, so, so two things to think about. Number one, one of the reasons why we don't do that today is because of, we're scared of genetic mutations, like Down syndrome and other right, things. Right, right, right. That would, that didn't exist back then. They, they um, the other thing to think about is if you go back to Genesis 5, so and so begat so and so, it gives you the. It also mentions in that chapter, in every single person from Adam to Lamech, it says yes. they had sons mm-hmm. and daughters yep. after the person they named. So, mm-hmm. for instance, it says, you know, Adam was 130, he had a son named Seth, and then Genesis chapter five, verse four, it goes on to say, and they had sons, plural, and daughters, plural. That means every person had to have at least five kids at the minimum Hmm. because they had the the child of record, which would be Seth. Mm -hmm. And then the text says they had sons, daughters. That's a minimum of five. Yeah. Okay. If everybody's having five. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> that can add up. Let, 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 me, let me point out how population explosion happens. We declared our independence in 1776 in America. Mm-hmm. Give or take 200 and what, 50 years ago? 250 years ago, you could have put everybody in America in a Volkswagen <laughs> bus. Okay. I mean, you, you could have had them in a 15-passenger van with room left over. 250 years later, we got millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people, most of which did not move here from another country. Most were born into this country. Yeah. There's no, there's no getting around it. Yeah. All right. So... I must ask, what inspired you? So you gave some type of insight, but what inspired you to dissect the scriptures the way that you did? Was it purely just 
wanting to understand our biology or was it just okay i can't put this book down i need more 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 right how did you get to that point um so my my long-term goal as i mentioned always wanted to be a doctor went to medical school working on a combined md phd in anatomy neurobiology actually was the plan was to either be a neurosurgeon or go into neurology private practice uh guy that was working at apologetics press at the time contacted me out of the blue and said hey i'm gonna fly up and talk to you about a job Hmm. I'm, i'm not looking for a job in fact, at that point, I was about to start clinical rotations and um, he said, well, I'm coming. So I was like, all right, you know, he's a Christian. I can't exactly like bar him from coming. So he came and basically he said, you need to think about being a physician of the soul rather than physician of the body. Hmm. He said, the church has got plenty of medical doctors. What we need are people who can take the science, understand it and then teach it to regular church members in a way that they understand it. Mm. He said, there's just not enough people out there doing that. And I, you know, obviously I I tell people it was a God thing. It kind of hit me right as I was starting to get a little bit disenchanted with medicine, because if you know anything about medicine today, um, it is very much insurance driven and very pharmaceutical driven. Mm-hmm. Basically, you go to a doctor now and they they look at a an insurance sheet and see what your insurance will pay for, and they hand you a pill. Right. That's that's their idea of, of practicing medicine. At the same time, my wife and I were ready to start our family, and we knew that neurosurgery is not exactly the most family friendly occupation in the world, and so the timing of all of that, along with him coming and talking to me. Um, really, really impacted me in a way. And so I, I ended up flying down to Montgomery, looking at their work, looking at what they were doing. And um, of course, it, it never hurts when your wife is elbowing you saying, hey, you need to be doing this. Hmm. That's usually a pretty good thing. So she she definitely was my chief supporter in this whole deal. Okay, so that, so that rewind, helps uh, rewind back a little bit because you mentioned, uh, you know, when you were baptized, so you were baptized you still had this medical background were you were you urged to get into evangelism at this point like what brought this uh, um apologetics press person your way (laughs) um that was another providence thing so i had done a book with a, a guy named burt jones i don't know if you've ever heard of him he does singing workshops, um, big, funny looking guy. He and I did a, a book together and he, he asked me to send me his resume or he asked for my resume and I, I sent it to him with, without knowing he forwarded my resume onto um, the director at Apologetics Press the day that Trevor Major was leaving Apologetics Press. So Trevor Major was their science guy for a while and was going back to New Zealand. The day Trevor is leaving, my resume is coming across a fax Mm. 
And Bert Thompson gets it, looks at it, and he's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta meet this guy. Um, track me down, and the rest is history, so to speak. So, <clears throat> that being said, now, were you a teacher or evangelist at this point, or they just were? Nope. Just imp- okay. nope. I was, I was a hundred percent straight on. But now, I, I was was uh, acting as a youth minister and a congregation in Memphis, Tennessee area. Um, two reasons, primarily one, because I've always wanted to be a very, very active Christian. You know, I think if all you're doing is punching the clock, sitting in the pew, that's, that's not what I read in the Bible. Right. You know, I read a very active Christian life. And so I wanted to be active and I needed to help pay bills while I was in medical school. <laughs> okay. You know, I, not going to lie. There, there was a, a, a desire to mentor a bunch of young people, but there was also that desire to be able to, to feed my family at that time. So, Hey, that's an honest answer. Hey, yeah. Can't do everything for free. <laughs> that's right. I, it's interesting. I, I actually keep up with a lot of the youth that were in the program when I was there. And that's, that's been 20 plus years ago. So most of them now married. Um, a lot of them have their own kids and stuff. And um, I wish I could say that every single one of them was still faithful. Mm-hmm. But the reality in the church today, we're, we're losing probably 75%. And, now, we said we would get into this, so that's a good bridge. In your, um, in your humble opinion, um, or a guy like you, I know you do your stats, um, what have you found as the reason as us not only, A, losing youth, but just losing people in general? Um, a lot of different reasons. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a couple at you. Um, some of which may, may hurt a little bit to those people who are listening. I think, you know, things like lack of Bible knowledge, that's an obvious one. I think apathy, people who they basically um, get baptized and then just kind of sit on a pew and they never, ever really pick up their cross to follow after him. Mm. You know, it's just, okay, my mama came to church on Sunday and sang songs, so I guess I'm supposed to come to church and sing songs. Mm. And that's that's religion to them. Third one that I'm going to throw out at you that I want you to think about. I think for about 50 years, we converted people to the church and not Jesus Christ. Facts. Absolutely. And if there's not a passion for Christ, then eventually what's going to happen is somebody at the church is going to make you mad. Are they going to do something or say something or hire somebody you don't like or something? And you're going to part ways with the church. If you're converted to Christ, you don't have that. It's it's funny that you mentioned that because I think I was somewhere. Between apathy. And. Married to the idea of church. Plus, you mix in, you do what mom and daddy say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And 
I reached a point and you know again I, don't, I hope this doesn't hurt anybody but the fact of the matter is the church have often tried to cover its wounds instead of letting like Jesus show the wounds right I was about 18 19 yeah about yeah 18 19 and the congregation I was going to had a major major blow up and there's things that can be said okay maybe the evangelist could have handled certain things differently as opposed to let me step away so this doesn't hurt other people but then you have the leadership that are kind of fire and brimstone at the moment but without covering the entire details it became so bad where like you're saying you have a section of people that adored the minister and with that being said he paid attention to these people's needs more than the previous people beforehand and this guy had only been here at that time less than at 10 years at best yep and he yep. took he him being and I chalked this up to him being a southern gentleman southern folks have a little bit better hospitality than us up northern people at time it just is what it is <laughs> And he took a liking to some, especially some of the older people there that had Southern backgrounds and he didn't really play favorites. So he took a liking to him for sure. So when things started hitting the fan, you had a section of people that were going to ride or die for this guy. Yeah. And then you have another section of people that let's just say potentially are um, related to some of these people in leadership. And or I've been here all my life. I'm not going to let some newcomer run me off. So it, yeah. it, it became a civil war. Yeah, absolutely. And I I had seen gentlemen I grew up, I won't necessarily say idolizing, but I knew were friends of the family, people, guys that I just had mutual respect for as, as a young, you know, older teenager at this time. And these guys are up in my father's face, my mother's face, and and it's like, I don't yeah. need this. Like, yeah. I'm already at that stage. The minute mom and dad let go of their reins, maybe I'm not doing this two a day church thing. Maybe I might show up for evenings. Maybe not. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I've I've entered the workforce. They've already asked me to start working weekends. This, that, and the third. I mean, you know, working at a Foot Locker, they want you to work Saturdays, Sundays. Get the oh yeah, yeah. So my commitment is already slowly but surely being pulled away. Now you mix in the fact that okay, I'm about to live on my own. I don't need this. Yeah. I'll find God when I reach my father's age. At that point, you know, like I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go make my money, and I'll come right. back to this when I find some civil people. Because if this is what we're supposed to call brotherhood and friends, I want no parts of it. And I, I, I think there are thousands of people around your age that went through a very similar deal and said, you know what? I, this, this, this can't be what church really is supposed to be like. Right. Um, and basically walked away because it's like, why do I need to go somewhere that is stressing out my parents so bad 
where people are acting unchristian when I actually sometimes get treated better by non-Christians. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what's the what's the point in waking up on on a weekend day? Uh, Sundays typically seem to be nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm a football fanatic. Okay. All right. Titans fan. There you go. Boo. <laughs> 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 but, come on, Derrick Henry, man. Come on now. I have a guy named Nick Chubb. I'll pass. Okay, all right, all right. He's phenomenal, though. Nick, Nick, <laughs> Nick Henry, I mean, Derrick Henry is phenomenal. But all these secular things and all these things, the desires of the flesh, yeah, yep. it's it's absolutely real. And then when you mix in sin getting a hold of people, a level of phoniness in some people. Yep. And then some people that are just there because it's a social club. And never, and then you look and there's probably at best 10% people that are handling this with true biblical knowledge. And, and then add to that all the attacks Satan has been making through textbooks, through college through your job experience through everything else and it's it's no wonder that people just say you know what it's not for me right now mm-hmm. and and walk away um I'm, i have met in my career i've probably met anywhere from six to eight hundred people who followed your exact same pattern mm-hmm around the same age, 18, 19, 20, when it's time for them to finally kind of have their own belief system. But yet by that point in their life, they looked around and said, you know what? This church isn't really relevant to me. Mm. And so lots and lots of them just walked away. And, And add to that in the church, rather than challenging young people and teaching them some of this meat that you and I've been talking about, we teach just this little, you know, stories. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's let's color cut and paste about Jonah and the whale. It's like, no, you know, mm-hmm. we're talking about Jonah and this big fish that God prepared enough when you were seven years old. Now that you're 12, 13, 14, let's talk about some real stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing you mentioned, it's funny that you mentioned real stuff because this is another real thing. We try to sugarcoat the Bible and pardon my common folk language. We try to put sugar on, you know what? Yeah. When the Bible clearly has clear examples of how to handle discord, for instance, Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where obviously it's a heated argument. (laughs) You two men need to go to your own corner. Yeah. Yeah. But no one lost their faith. No one said, I hated you. It's yeah. just there needs to be a cool down period. Yeah. And we for and. But at the same time, we teach grace and mercy. And we forget the fact that before Paul got his head chopped off, he's looking for that same John Mark that caused the issue in the first place. That's right. Yep. So instead, so when we have these blow ups, instead of saying, you know what, 
let's just break up the congregation and everyone go their own separate ways. Let's just stop, pause. We may not go bowling like we used to. We might not go eat Subway together or necessarily hold hands and sing hallelujah all the time. But we can still be a congregation. Yeah. Now, will you lose a few people here and there? Maybe. And that's okay if someone does, because as long as their faith isn't shattered into pieces, right. it's okay. But we have we have turned against one another and then completely burned the bridges down. We, we forget that Satan's the enemy, not each other. Bingo. And I, I constantly try to remind people, we are actually fellow warriors. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you should have my back. I should have yours. And so, yeah, there may be some people out there that I, are they're not going to be the first person I call to, to go out and, and do something fun or whatever. But at the end of the day, I got to remember, they're still on the same army team that I'm on. We're still fighting the same evil enemy. And there may come a time where they need me. And so um, I, I found for me personally, if I start referring to the people in my local congregation more as church family, hey, this is my church family. This is somebody in my church family. It, it helps to kind of reinforce the, the ties and the relationship that should be there. Mm-hmm. Because if that's your family, you're going to look out after them. You're going to take care of them. You're going to do what, what needs to be done for. Yeah. For me, it can't get any worse than a local fella named Saul dragging some of people that you probably had good relationships with and potentially your family members and throwing them in jail, possibly having them killed. And then fast forward some 30 years later and he's your brother. He's your friend. Yeah. Yeah. But even before this 30 year cool down period, when Saul turned Paul had a change in direction, people will stand off. It's like, "Eh." I don't know about this guy. Ah, I remember those stones hitting Stephen in the head. I want no parts of that. Yeah. But this is the same guy that was able to chastise Peter in love. Yeah. We need each other, even in the midst of dangerous circumstances. And and Absolutely. it can't get any worse than Paul. So we're we're missing the just like you did with the truth about origins, there are things that are just plainly in our face and we're missing it. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, we, we've got to get back to, I think, what Christ originally wanted for the church as far as we need to be in each other's homes. Mm-hmm. We need to be having some relationships with people, doing things with people so that when Satan comes after us, we can actually withstand all the mess he's throwing at us. Because let's be honest, right now in America, it's crazy and a bunch of poo flying all over the place yeah and i need all the the christian supporters that i can get so that you know 
when I wake up, I'm not depressed. I'm not just wanting to, to curl up in a fetal position, but rather I'm excited. I'm zealous. And I want to go teach the good news. Yeah, absolutely. So people are probably wondering, what is this truth about origins thing that I'm just barking about? Uh, <laughs> tell the people what inspired the truth about origin seminar and what is it? So, uh, prior to this crazy COVID virus thing, I would spend about 42 weekends a year um, traveling all over the world, teaching on the truth about origins. You know, where do we come from? Why are you here? Where are you going when you die? Those kinds of, of basic questions. Looking at things like the flood, what's the evidence for the flood? Or what about fossil man, supposed Neanderthals, that kind of thing? How do dinosaurs fit into the Bible? A lot of these questions that that you have, especially as you're growing up, but nobody ever answers them. Exactly. And so we put together a, a three-day series of lessons, usually five or six different um, lessons that that I've presented now, I guess, literally in every state and uh, every continent except Antarctica. So uh, that's, that's on my bucket list. I, I need to go down there and, and teach some folks in Antarctica. I'll go with you. <laughs> but um, basically done it, you know, a lot of church buildings, obviously, but what a lot of places will do, a lot of congregations will say, hey, we want you to come in, but we want you to do it in a neutral location. We want you to come to our local high school or we want you to come to uh, this conference center or this this hotel or whatever. And so Friday and Saturday. They set it up like a, a seminar for the community, invite everybody in. And um, it, you know, to me, it's a great evangelistic effort because you're inviting people who might not come to a, a gospel meeting. Right. They'll come to hear about dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um so we we do that, and then obviously on Sunday you invite them to come back to worship, to Bible study, keep the seminar going. Uh, usually we'll talk about you know maybe the scientific accuracy of the Bible or something like that, and try to tie all of the lessons that they've heard back into into uh, scripture. Hmm. So that I think that was. And again, I have no idea how I found it, but I think that was probably one of the one of the biggest blessings of my life because from there I was on a mission to where can I get further knowledge. I started taking classes with um, at that point Georgia School of Biblical um, Bibli- Georgia School of Biblical Preaching and uh, of preaching and biblical studies i was taking some courses there for a while i started doing some things with um world video bible yeah yeah awesome i was i was on a mission after i I watched your seminar a few times i said okay somehow some way i gotta get there let's look into um a little bit more of church stuff and then we'll get into uh kind of the worldview and i'll let you out of here um Second Peter um, one ten, uh, where it where it talks about 
making your calling and election sure. And and I don't want to take it completely out of context, but back in verse five where it says, you know, adding from virtue to knowledge. I think the truth about origins and the things that come from it, some of the I've seen the DV uh, DVD can um, convicted all these different things. Do you, you mentioned knowledge before. How, how much do you think knowledge has helped harm the church? If is lack of knowledge hurting the church more is, or is it a lack of empathy? Hmm. Both. Um, I'll throw this out there. So the Bible says plainly that the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So like Psalm 111 verse 10, <clears throat> it, it clearly states that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. So, to me, you've got to first lay that, that foundational stone of, okay, I acknowledge there's a God who is above me. He's a higher authority. There is a fear that one day I'm going to have to give an account. He's going to judge me accordingly. And with that, I can then learn all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people skip that step. And if you don't, let's be honest, if, if you think a whole lot of yourself, if you're very narcissistic, like a whole lot of people in the world today, and they like, oh, it's all, you know, all me all the time. Let me take another selfie of me. <laughs> um, to me, if, if there's not that fear of the Lord, then whatever you build the rest of your religion on, it's a house of cards that's going to fall one day. You got to have that fear of the Lord, beginning of wisdom or knowledge, and then build on knowledge so that it can strengthen your faith so that you can teach other folks. So here's, and we, we kind of touched, we've danced around this, but here's, here's where we failed. Jesus said, he didn't say go and baptize pew sitters. He said, go and make disciples. Disciples make other disciples. Mm. And so if I teach somebody the good news, part of me teaching them the good news is taking that extra step and saying, okay, in six weeks, I want you taking this information to somebody. Mm. We don't do that in the church. What we do is we say, oh, that's a new Christian. They need to just you know sit there for 10 or 15 years and then maybe they can ask a question in class. Mm. No, 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 no. We, we, we should be taking people, making disciples who, after they know enough knowledge about, hey, this is what the good news is, they're out there now trying to teach their friends the same thing, and it just keeps going. Um, I think at the church, what we've done is said, hey, as long as we get them in the water, then that, that's good. Mm. And I kind of lean, I, I, I was kind of surprised at your answer because I, I tend to say both because on one hand, I can see why 
a church becomes stagnant from a lack of knowledge. And I think right. it, I think it, you know, this congregation I was at when I was a teenager, I think that was uh, impactful. And also, so empathy. Now, now, granted, you can't take oh anything that comes within our congregational walls. But just like Jesus said, um, not Jesus, I'm sorry. In the book of Samuel, it talks about mercy over sacrifice. There's a time and place where you have this knowledge, but then what are you going to do with the knowledge? Right. And then yeah. sometimes you have to dial back the knowledge and just have a compassionate heart. And I've put it this way in the past. And the, my fellow Church of Christ folks may kill me for this, <laughs> but we try so hard to get it right. We miss it right. Yeah. And I, I, I can agree with that. And we're borderline uh, some, I don't want to broad stroke too much, We're we borderline become Pharisaic. Yep. We forgot how to deal with the woman that's coming in on her knees in tears. Agreed. And wiping feet. Yep. We, we've forgotten how to deal with her. We've forgotten how to deal with the alcoholic, the porn addict, the drunk, the whatever. So that if they don't look like us, dress like us, basic social economic status is us, then we kind of, we give them the, mm -hmm. you know, what, what are you doing here kind of look. Um, but if you really read the Bible, that's who Jesus was going after. Yeah. You know, he was, he was out there with those folks getting his hands dirty like we should be doing. Mm -hmm. I, I'll throw this out because I, I think you, you said it, but I tell people, you got to have zeal and passion. But zeal and passion without knowledge is no good. Knowledge without zeal and passion is no good. Mm -hmm. You really have to have both. You got to have Bible knowledge but if you don't have the zeal and the passion to actually do something with that, get out of the pew and, and get outside the walls of the church building, you know, we, we do a really good job of uh, preaching to the choir every single Sunday, right? Absolutely. We'll do a good job of getting it out. I, the, the analogy that I always give is since you're a football fan, you'll, you'll appreciate this. If, if I, said, you know, what's your favorite part of a football game? You know, is it that deep pass? Is it the, the field goal right as the clock is winding down? Nobody has ever said that their favorite part of the game was when they huddle, right? Imagine a game, a whole game of nothing but both sides huddling. Okay, they huddle, then they go sit on the bench. They come back out and they huddle and they sit on the bench. And I tell people, that's what we do in the church. Mm. We come together on Sunday, we huddle up, they, they call the play, and then we go sit on the bench. Wow. And we wait for the next Sunday, we huddle back up, we call the play, and we go sit on the bench. Absolutely. It's time for us to be enacting some of these plays. Wow. <laughs> you are a genius. <laughs> 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 and, and you know what the, another thing righteous judgment yeah we, we are we've and we've taught a generation of kids stay away from the gay person 
stay away from, like you said, the alcoholic, the drug right, addict, right. the homeless person. And then, like I said, you can't just accept anything, but we have no love towards them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we judge them instead of trying to help save them. Right. Right. Now, obviously, Jesus' blood's the only thing that'll save, but when we see those kind of people, we should be thinking souls. Um, because the reality is every single person in the church building got a sin problem. Everybody. Um, the Bible says all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And so for us to to kind of look at it as us versus them, that tells me we don't really get it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. We, we would be, let's just use, you know, a homosexual relationship, for instance. I fear that we would be too quick to tell them to distance yourselves sitting next to each other as opposed to, no, let them sit, let them learn. Yep. And then once the gospel truth hits them, then they have a decision to make. And even still, it's still not up to us to say, okay, you got to get out. Right. Jesus, when I'm sure when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it was probably a plethora of who knows what going on there. It it wasn't just a bunch of religious Jewish folks. That's right. And he went through Samaria. He went through places nobody had any business in his predicament going. And I'm sure he came across a whole lot of upside down stuff, but it never, it never discouraged him. Yeah. I, I did something that I, should have been doing a long time ago uh this two years it started two years ago we started going to Planned Parenthood and praying for people Mm. and if you've never done it first off let me encourage you to go do it because it may be that you can actually reach somebody who's thinking about having an abortion and and help them to go get an ultrasound but Planned Parenthood now is giving out hormone treatments for people who are undergoing sex changes. Mm. And so in this one parking lot are some of the, the people that members of the church would consider the worst of the worst. You're talking abortion, you're talking homosexuals, transgender, the whole nine yards. And what it really forced me to do was realize, you know what? These are the people we should be talking to and praying with. Absolutely. Um, Rather than just preaching a sermon and and staying 10 feet away from them. We we look at people with a um, problematic eye. And I'm not definitely not a subscriber of um, born this way. But the fact of the matter is, there may be some very complex issues with dro- that drove a person in that direction. Mm-hmm. And where I do feel the alphabet group, because I'll get it in the wrong order, <laughs> where they have one with people, and it's not them against church type of situation I'm painting, but where they have one is they have a uh, a big grandma effect. Whereas when you go to grandma house, it's open arms. Yeah. Hey, sugar. Hey, baby, come on in. I love you. Yep. 
and we are the mean old stepdad. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. And, and it shouldn't be that way. And it should not. And like you said, everybody has sin. Yeah. And that's how we've missed a generation of these people because we already, they have already put in their mind that we're going to look down on them. Well, you know, what, what do you say about the guy who you, you teach him the truth, you get him off the street, he was in a gang, he comes to the church, church members kind of look at him sideways for the first six weeks because he doesn't have the same clothes as them. He doesn't talk the way they do. Maybe he's, he's still using some foul language, whatever. But after three months, this guy who was converted decides he wants to go back to the gang. And when you ask him why, he says, well, because there, at least I know those people love me. Mm-hmm. I don't know that here. Mm-hmm. And that, that should never happen in the body of Christ. Ever. Ever. Now, back to transgenderism. (laughs) And what I have found fascinating, especially with America and some of its hypocrisies, uh, as far as atheism. The acceptance of I feel this way when I was born. I've I've begun to look at it as, okay, we have a group of Americans, and I'm sure it's worldwide, but I'm going to stick to America. We have a section of people that want nothing to do with God. Okay, that's fine. Then you have a section of people that are in this religious community. Okay, that's fine. But then you have this group that say, "Ah, I was put in this body, but that's not quite who I am. And I find it that fascinating because, okay, you don't believe God made you this way. But you don't believe science. (laughs) The science is right either. Because, okay, even if you don't believe in God, we've all been taught with DNA. (laughs) This, this, this means you're blah. Yeah. Let, a, let alone the physical organs. Right, right. So it seems like we have a whole new group of thought, to say the less. And I just wanted to get your opinion about that because I've had that discussion with people before. It's like, if if you're not an atheist, but you don't believe in God, then what are you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got these folks that, that are now saying that, you know, gender is fluid, meaning... You can be this one day and the next day that you feel you're something else. Um, Number one, that's scientifically speaking, that's garbage Mm -hmm. because you feelings do not change chromosomes. Okay. You've got an X and a Y chromosome. I've got an X and a Y. My wife has two X's. You know, these are things that, I know scientifically. Mm-hmm. And even if you take hormone blockers, even if you have a sex change, it's not going to change the fact that this person was born XX, this person was born XY. Um, the problem is when you start 
saying, I feel. Think about what that does to absolute truth. You know, the Bible is all about, well, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Mm-hmm. If you start letting a culture go by their feelings, mm-hmm. man, there is no telling where you're going to end up because things are going to get just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I look at America now and I look at the tail wagging the dog and not the dog wagging its, yeah. Yeah. its tail. And, um, do you think it's too late to roll back the momentum of where we are? Or is this something as a Christian, this is something we need to evangelize our way through? So I always tell people, you know, your light never shines brighter than when it's surrounded by darkness. Mm. And I think it is getting darker in our nation. Uh, I think immorality is growing. I mean, let's be honest, stuff that's in commercials today, they used to not even allow in a, a rated R movie. Right. But now you can cuss in a commercial, you can talk about, you know, all kinds of sexual problems on a commercial. And so it's obvious that our, our conscience has kind of been seared to the point where bad words, immorality, all that kind of stuff doesn't really affect people the way it used to. And so as I see our our nation kind of going downhill, it troubles me. But two things, number one, I know who wins in the end. Mm -hmm. And number two, it may be that as we start going down the drain, that there are more opportunities for Christians to actually make a difference and, and shine their light for people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a, another thing, and it's just I'm not sure when this episode will get out, uh, but the attacks yesterday was another thing that just, okay, America, what are you going to do with this? Because let alone, and, and I have to be honest, I can't say that there's all things about Trump that I disagree with. Um, think it was the wrong person with some of the right ideas. Potentially. And it blew up full circle. And then I'm not typically the person that just outwardly thinks with my race. For those who don't know, I am African American. (laughs) And I think America got to see its hypocrisy on full display yesterday. And I was joking in jest with some, uh, (laughs) with a a coworker of mine. I said, I thought I saw a million Peter Parkers going up the Capitol wall. (laughs) (laughs) But there was no way in the world they would have let a Black Panther. And I'm speaking in Marvel terms. Black Panther would have never made it up the sidewalk. (laughs) 
And, you know, I think throughout the last few years, it to the average African-American person, it probably seems like maybe we're, we're, we're crying wolf. And I can't say that every person that's been involved in police shootings and all these other things were necessarily saints. They weren't. It is what it is. Right. But America as a whole has seen enough people on heroin and alcohol-fueled rages on shows like Cops of all ethnicities to know that things can be handled a lot better. Yeah. And yesterday showed how patient a huge group of police officers can be yet a lot of people live to tell that story mm-hmm. and i think another problem with in the and i'll just say religious community i won't pin it to the church is sometimes we've been screaming hey hey these things happen you know, I may not be that dead person. I may not be what you consider a thug or a criminal. But these things happen. And, you know, in light of we saw the events of the summer, now in the winter, drastic difference on how these situations are handled based on ethnicity. And you know what? To be honest, I think any other race outside of Caucasian would have had a whole different situation going on yesterday. Where do you feel like the church needs to come in and like you said, get the scales off their eyes and address some of these things. Now it's not our business to address all world issues. Right. But we are to look to our fellow brothers and sisters to the left and right and say, you know what? I feel you now. I get it. So let me let me tell you what we've been doing just to try to address some of that. Um, in I guess it was October of this past year, we did a, a special issue of Think on the topic of race. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm I'm probably gonna offend some of your your listeners. Please, that's don't. okay. <laughs> they they can be wrong. No. Um, <laughs> I always get in trouble when I when I fill out applications and it has race because I always make a new box and I put human and <laughs> check that off because I, I believe God made one race, the human race. Right. Now, there's lots of different varieties, mm-hmm. just like ice cream, you know, <laughs> and there's people who like pistachio and there's people who like chocolate and people who like strawberry and vanilla and everything. And that's great. Uh-huh. But. I do think that both sides have got to do a better job of hearing, listening, and calmly sharing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we produced the, the magazine in October, and out of eight or nine articles, I purposefully wanted all of them except one written by people who were not light-skinned. I wanted people who, and and we got them actually from different continents as well Hmm. to kind of give a a real feel for, okay, what's going on. We're now starting to have things where we are doing, in fact, um, this Friday, I think is the next one. 
where we're doing global Zoom meetings, members of the church, hmm. primarily focusing on this issue. And so, for instance, you've got um, a, a black person from London, a black person from South Africa, a white person from Canada, a black person from Jamaica, a black person from Bermuda, all these. And so what we're doing is we're coming together, we're praying for each other, mm. but we're also having real life dialogue about how do we um, address some of these issues? What do we need to talk about to our, our congregations? Oh, I got to watch. Um, how do we make congregations more diverse? Mm-hmm. Because it, it, on that one area, um, I'm going to spank both people's hands. <laughs> The reality is there's a lot of white churches and a lot of black churches and they're comfortable that way. Is that we really ought to be doing a lot more of this. Um, Amen. It's it's one of those things where I I think in the past, white people have basically not listened well and have basically said, ah, there's not, not really any racism, racism going on. I don't have any slaves. And at the same time, I think sometimes the other side has gotten angry and used a lot of emotion rather than just calmly coming to the table and saying, hey, can, can we talk, can we go to lunch? Can we do X, Y, Z? Um, locally here where I, so I'm in Franklin, Tennessee. We actually started going out to eat with, we have, Two and I, I'm going to use the words they use. We have two black churches, mm-hmm. and we have a couple of white churches. I said, "This is ridiculous. We need to begin together. We need to have, you know, meals together. We need to be singing together." So we started with the preachers. Mm-hmm. Said, "Hey, if we can't do it, they ain't going to do it. So let's go out." So we started going out to eat together, and lo and behold, we found out that we we all like to eat. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Who thought of that? <laughs> I mean, you know, and so it's it's by sitting down over a table, laughing, joking, talking, even even just talking um, everyday life, not just theology, mm-hmm. that you realize that we're the same. Yeah. You know, they struggle with some of the same things we struggle with maybe they got teenage kids. They want to beat up beside the wall because they won't listen to them. Maybe they, they got a wife that nags them, you know, some of the same things that I go through, they go through. Yeah. And and I found guys like, um, brother John Shannon in Tennessee, how he's able to navigate those ships. And from what I've seen of him is he's well in demand being a a older (laughs) black gentleman and he's highly in demand by a lot of Caucasian uh, congregations, and I and I enjoy the way he navigates those, you know, navigate that ship, and I enjoy his preaching, and and I guess I'll try to speak to uh, the emotional issue is we I'll and I and I'll speak for myself, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that will understand this, but it's almost like a child that's been saying. Hey, somebody's been bothering me at school, but nobody believes me. Mm-hmm. I come home with whips, 
bruises. I'm constantly putting on band-aids. But every day they keep getting ripped off. So the healing never starts. And that's what has become every time. Okay, Mike Brown shot in the middle of the street. Okay. Granted, had no business stealing from a store. Tamir Rice. All right, he was 12-year-old. The gun looks similar to a real thing. They didn't really give him a chance to even answer or say freeze before pop, pop, pop. The gentleman Garner in, in Staten Island. Cigarette. And, and it becomes one after another after another. And it's like, what does it take for someone to finally believe us? Like, it's not. Yeah. And again, it's not that all police officers are bad, but we're looked at in a different lens. Yeah. So it, I, it, I was in, um, in Bermuda this past year. They had the uh, annual Caribbean lectureship goes to different islands every year and they had it in Bermuda and uh, both of them Gene's parents, his oh, whole family was there. Oh, I was getting ready to go there. Yeah. And we had one whole uh, time slot of the, the whole lectureship was devoted specifically to him, but it kind of developed from there into talking some about race and everything. And it was, it was such a, a healing time because they were able to get up and express what they had been through mm. in the crowd. You had literally every color race creed you can imagine, because I mean, you know, all the different islands, America's everything you've got white, black, red, yellow, everything. That's fantastic. And it was, it was really a healing time. I think for everybody, because they were able to share their frustration about having band-aids on. And I was able to actually understand it firsthand mm -hmm. instead of getting what either the news wanted me to hear or propaganda. What, yeah. Yeah. You know, and so it, it really was kind of a, a healing thing. And I think, I actually think his name and legacy are going to go on as a part of the, the cure for this whole mess. There was no, it's so odd to say it, but there was no better a martyr for that to happen to. Because this is not a guy who had a, a background of selling nope. drugs, alcohol. Nope. The um, opposite. He was Price Waterhouse Coopers. The average Joe Blow isn't getting in Price Waterhouse Coopers. Nope. Uh uh. And he could sing like an angel. I mean, you know, his, just his reputation I, preceded him. And boom, it happened. Mm-hmm. Good guy. And, and and even for a slight moment, they tried their best. Well, I'm broad stroking. Let me stop. There were <laughs> there were some people that tried their best to find something negative in him. And it's yeah. like, why can't it be, no matter what his ethnicity is, why can't it be a gentleman that got shot and it could have been handled better? Period. Right. Right. Like, I think... Yeah. I think personally, the sentences alone, that's a slap in the face, but that's okay. That's law rhetoric, whatever. But the fact that before we get to the sentencing, you have a person, male or female, that's been murdered. 
and then the repu then they get murdered all over again because their reputation is being slaughtered. It's almost yeah. like when the Bible say you you're killing Jesus twice. <laughs> but how powerful is it that his family members went over to the killer and said, "We forgive you." Before she even and everybody starts crying, just to show her and the world what Christianity is all about. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and you know what was clever about his, and whether he did it intentionally or not, he actually qualified it also, the way the Bible would tell us to. If you, you know, bring God into your life. Yeah. Yeah. And not only will I forgive you, you have a the man upstairs that's going to forgive you. Yeah, yeah. So, that being said, um, so, are we? Uh, I mean, <laughs> before we before we totally dismiss, here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna challenge you. Okay, uh -oh. I'm good for it. Let's go. <laughs> so you know what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. You know kind of why I do it in my background. So uh, you need to do a very similar thing. Going on the road, two three day weekend meetings where. You take the what it feels like to be an African-American in this world to congregations all over to show them mm. what's really going on and to show them what Jesus really, really wanted to begin with. Do what I do, except your niche is I'm going to help bridge black and white people together. Okay. That's what you need to be doing, man. <laughs> Nobody wants to see me like they want to see you though. Oh, come on. <laughs> but no, that that's that's actually a good idea. Because we we need that. We need some people who are ambassadors going to these all white churches, all black churches saying, "Hey guys, here's what Here's where the hurt is. Here's where some of the problems lie. Here's why this is an issue. And oh, by the way, here's what you can do about it. Mm. Here's what you can do to make it better. Here are some suggestions for this local congregation. Here's some outreach methods that you can do to, to do X, Y, Z. Yeah, I'm gay. <laughs> So I'm just planting that planting that little stone in your shoe right there. Mr. Harrop is at it again with me. <laughs> um are you doing any uh are you creatively doing any truth about organs virtually? Truth about origins virtually. Get it yeah, absolutely. Especially with COVID. I've been doing a lot more through Zoom and through Skype and things. Okay. Um I, I have not actually had a three day weekend. In a long time, yeah. um, months and months and months, which is very, very unusual for me. Right now, primarily one of the things I'm doing here locally is I'm trying to help out congregations that are either looking for preacher, um, have preachers that have COVID or just, you know, somebody needs a break or whatever. Doing a lot of fill in work okay. just to help out. Um, so I do that on Sundays, but what that does is frees me up through the week to do more of computer online this, studies. This kind of, kind of crap. This kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
But I mean, is it? Are you kicking the idea of doing it virtually, or is it something you feel like it's better in person? I definitely think it's better in person, mm-hmm. but um, I, I think you can still be effective, especially if you know if it's a medium where I can grab the screen and put up some powerpoints and say, okay, think about X, Y, Z. Um, I've, I've done probably thirty different lectures or lessons online. I uh, did one for, for London about two weeks ago. And the guy's like, Hey, I, I know you do like dinosaurs and stuff. Can you do something on marriage? Hmm. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to, you know, and we, we did a whole, like, basically they called it a marriage retreat. I'm like, yeah, we're all in our own houses, but <laughs> that's okay. You know, maybe you can learn what you need here and then, Go to the bedroom. That'd be good because yeah. you're married. You can do that. Um, but no, yeah, I, I do a lot of stuff right now online. What else can we look forward to out of Focus Press and Think Magazine and Think Deeper, Jack? <laughs> so, <laughs> what, with, what can we look forward to with, throughout the year? So, with, with with COVID going on, and I, you know, I don't see it ending anytime real soon. My push is going to be primarily getting more stuff in writing that I can put in your hands that I can put in other folks' hands that hopefully will really, really help them. Uh, I mentioned the textbook that's going to the printer in about a week. Um, yeah, I've got to a ask Q&A. when you're publishing that. Yeah. I meant to ask that. Got a, uh, a Q and a book that I've been working on for a while that I think would be, something people would grab hold of. It's, you know, basically it's got a lot of questions that some of which you probably had when you were younger. Um, I would so read that now. That's, <laughs> I'm that's, 41. That, I would read that now. That's the direction I, I really want to do is, is, and then I've got a, uh, I've always, always, always wanted to write a fiction book hmm. and tie into it the whole creation evolution controversy Hmm. to set it up to where basically big science stumbles across something where they realize, Hey, there's no way this could have evolved. It has to be a creator, but they don't want that secret getting out because after all we're big science and we want to promote evolution. And so there's a, a dynamic going on between these couple of characters who end up discovering that and I'm not going to give the whole thing away, but, um, fair enough. Been, been really wanting to write a fiction type book. That's somebody can read. It's an action adventure, James Bond kind of deal, but it's clean. Mm. And so anybody can, can pick it up and read it. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, folks, I follow him on Twitter. He probably doesn't follow me back. <laughs> um, <laughs> But if you want to catch Dr. Brad Harrop on Twitter, it's at Harrop, and that's H-A-R-R-U-B. He also has his own web- website, bradharrop.com. Then there is focuspress.org, where you'll find the writings by him and Jack Wilkie. Uh, also, Focus Press on YouTube. There's also the Think Think Deeper podcast, which he is on a few episodes, but it's uh, manned by Jack. Jack, where are you? <laughs> and subscribe to Think Magazine. They're taking donations as well. Um, 
Facebook. Brother Harold, thank you. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I, I will uh, I'll work on twisting Jack's arm for you a little bit. <laughs> I want if it's okay with you, I, I'm I'm going to think about that idea and I want to be able to stay in touch with you. Absolutely. I'd love it. And uh, maybe we can do a follow up one of these sometime in the future. Yes, please. It, it's a, it's an honor and a privilege, sir. I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate your work. I don't think I would be into the word like I am without stumbling across it. I know it's God's providence, but I also have to give you your flowers while you can receive them. I appreciate that, man, very much. Keep faith and I look forward to meeting you in person. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at Liberation underscore pod. Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DeVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydevita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, it's doodlebugsbydevita.etsy.com. Use the promo code LIBERATION and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at doodlebugs for you. That's Doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. In Instagram, Doodlebugs by DeVita.